0: Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I have a quick question, and it shouldn't be a tough question to answer. Who is the President of the United States? It is Joe Biden, and it has been Joe Biden since he won the 2020 election by roughly 7 million votes. But try to tell that to some of the folks running for office in
1: Pennsylvania. The question that stumped all of the Republican candidates for governor in Pennsylvania was... Who won the 2020 presidential election? None of the Republican candidates for governor said Joe Biden, none of them. In its editorial announcing no endorsement in the Republican primary for governor, the Philadelphia Inquirer writes, how do you find points of agreement when you can't reach common ground on facts so basic that they could be used in the field sobriety test
0: when they say this isn't your parents republican party anymore they're not fucking kidding the two parties used to share the same reality one country one president lawmakers fought they legislated they went for drinks after work and democracy lived to see another day but when members of one party can't answer the simple question, who is the president, we've crossed into a murky territory where there's truth and democracy on one side and Donald Trump on
2: the other. Oh gosh, I feel like whatever he spews out of his mouth, I just love it. Um, <laughs> I just love- It
1: doesn't matter what he says?
2: Yeah, we're but gonna I, love it. We're I, gonna love being here. We're gonna love hearing what he has to say.
1: But this isn't a cult. No, I don't think so. And things are
0: actually starting to heat up in Washington as the January 6th committee releases a daily drip, drip, drip of facts and accusations that appear to be making even some of the most stalwart big lie devotees nervous.
1: I just saw a nice piece in The Lancet arguing that the opening of schools may only cost us 2 to 3% in terms of total mortality.
2: Following this particular claim, a swift backlash led Oz to promptly walk back his comments. At last check in
0: Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz was debating whether or not to call the race for himself. At Trump's goading, of course, he and GOP challenger, hedge fund manager David McCormick, are still neck and neck. Difficult new voting laws in the state make it impossible to start counting mail-in ballots until the day of the race, making poll watchers fear that there will be false claims of victory in the void between Election Day and when a race is
1: actually called. And in Pennsylvania's Senate race, Dr. Mehmet Oz, a celebrity television doctor, had Trump's endorsement, but it might not be enough. David McCormick, a businessman, is locked with Dr. Oz in a tight race If that race remains very close, within a half percent of each other, it will trigger a recount here in Pennsylvania.
0: In the meantime, memes have popped up all over the internet saying things like, Oprah, this is your fault, and Oprah, come get your boy. But win or lose, Oz has done a fucking excellent job remodeling himself in the image of Trump someone should tell him it's a long way back. Democrat Lieutenant Governor, the hulking John Fetterman had a stroke just days before the primary and still won anyway. Fetterman's like a modern day Daniel Boone, said Pennsylvania's Democratic chairman, and people just really love him. Fetterman is the favorite to win in November, which might help the Democrats stave off the midterm curse. Still in Pennsylvania, Biden denier, but Trump endorsed Doug Mastriano, won the Republican nomination for governor. Doug ran on the big lie and bragged that he attended and helped orchestrate the January 6th insurrection. In fact, no GOP contender did more to subvert the 2020 presidential election, and no one may be better positioned to subvert the next one than Mastriano. But according to The New York Times, in the run-up to Tuesday night, Republicans only used words and phrases like suicide mission, disaster, and voyage of the Titanic to convey just what a catastrophe they believe Mastriano's candidacy will be for their party.
1: The way it stands now, the Democrats are gonna be in a position in 2022 to do the same thing, right? Steal another election.
3: Everything you just said there is accurate
0: and there are a lot of issues and burying our head in the sand and calling it a big lie. Shame on any journalist, so-called, that says that.
3: Photos put Senator Doug Mastriano in D.C. on January
0: 6th. We're going to see a collapse and a fall of the old regimes. We're no longer going to stand aside and settle for rhinos and losers. And you know, you think Florida looks good? Amateur hour. Mastriano has refused to say who he would appoint as Secretary of State, a critical position overseeing election infrastructure and voting. He's also openly racist, making statements that veer into Islamophobia. He's appeared at QAnon events and regularly uses talking points like, there's a secret cabal of elite pedophiles running the federal government and other major US institutions. Mastriano isn't fit to serve and the fucking GOP knows it. However, there are some 36 far-right and QAnon-identified candidates currently running in various races across the country. There's idiots we already know about, like Boebert and Gosar, most notably Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, after not recalling anything during her hearings to stay on the ballot, has been given the okay to run again in Georgia. But now that her extremist brothers, Madison Corthorne, is out in North Carolina... Some GOP insiders have hinted that the knives may be coming out for her next. With conservative talk radio host Pete Moss saying, I'm getting tired of Little Miss Showboats act when referring to Marjorie Taylor Greene
2: they're moving into their solution is making WIC an even bigger customer when in reality many of the parents that can't buy buy baby formula for their baby they're not on the WIC program and the WIC program is making it more difficult for them to buy baby formula because if you're on WIC if if you're a uh, you know someone that needs to be on that government assistance you're allowed to buy as much baby formula as you want to with your WIC vouchers, and they're increasing that for those those parents. But if you're not on WIC, you're limited in how many uh, how many cans of baby formula you're allowed to buy. They continue to create more government, more government, more government. They create the problems, and that is that is why I had to vote no to the Democrats' plan to solve the baby formula crisis. It was no plan at all.
0: Sidebar, Cawthorn, after almost gracefully conceding his race in North Carolina, turned around yesterday and asked followers on Twitter to watch for the, and I quote, revenge of dark MAGA against who is still unclear, but if I were one of the GOP insiders who leaked that trove of Corthorn's greatest hits, I'd be watching my back because the kid's a fucking wacko. Some of this would be funny if it just weren't true. Q's back and there's Q shit everywhere. Last June on Telegram, one of QAnon's most popular influencers, Ghost Ezra, asked his followers to run for political office in a post rife with the sort of language you'd expect from Ghost Ezra. I mean, I'm going to quote now. Folks, listen up closely. We need some honest, non-Zionist, non-trannies running for Congress in 2022, the post on the Telegram app stated. The bar is low. You don't even need to have all your teeth. You will win by large margins too. Shortly afterwards, Ron Watkins, a central figure and perhaps the creator of the QAnon conspiracy movement, announced his candidacy for Congress in Arizona's 2nd District, as a Republican, of course. That primary isn't until August, but fundraising for Ron has been spotty. However, the campaign recently announced that the candidate's father donated
1: $2,000 earmarked for t shirts. President Trump had his election stolen, not just in Arizona, but in other states too. Watkins has been labeled the linchpin of the far-right QAnon movement. We must now take this fight to Washington, D.C. And now Hopkins is running for Congress right here in Arizona. It is essentially like having Q run for political office. Cullen Hoback's documentary, Q Into the Storm, explores the dark conspiracy theories promoted by QAnon believers and Watkins' central role. As the so-called
0: Q, other candidates linked to QAnon range from Massachusetts gubernatorial candidate Shiva Ayudre, who has four degrees from MIT and a website defending his status as the inventor of email. I mean, to Ryan Dark White, a U.S. Senate candidate in Maryland, who goes by Dr. Jonathan Ambrose McGreevy, and recently pled guilty to fraudulently obtaining more than eighty thousand doses of opioids. And he Illegally owning guns, and yet he's still running. Anybody that believes what the left believes is absolutely
1: on the side of evil.
2: America may fall one day, but it will not fall to Joe Biden. Trump will be back, whatever that looks like.
1: QAnon runs on the tracks that faith has laid. I watched the clips
3: myself. It's firsthand information.
1: It scares the shit out of me. So QAnon is making you guys look like crackpots. <sighs> I I don't think that's an unfair estimation.
0: Arizona has the highest number of QAnon on the line candidates running in 2022 at the number 13. With Florida and California running close behind with 10 each. And Texas trailing with only six, unless you count Ted Cruz, who will just say about any fucking thing to stir the pot. While some rhino Republicans were circumspect about aligning themselves with what is essentially a cult, of course, due to the popularity of QAnon's theories and the growing number of voters joining the movement, mainstream Republicans have begun to sign on. And QAnon candidates are getting big bucks from unexpected places. I mean, GOP mega-donors like Home Depot's Bernard Marcus, Steve Wynn, and San Francisco Giants owner Charles Johnson party-affiliated fundraising machines are pitching in and they've got plenty of free press from the right-wing media like Fox News and OANN we're talking about eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds and 11-year-olds and 12-year-olds he's got images of these the government said added up to over 600 images gobs of video footage of these children but you say this does not signal a heinous or egregious child pornography And not surprisingly, QAnon overlaps significantly with the Great Replacement Theory. And now that rhetoric is being echoed by mainstream Republicans like Lindsey Graham, Marsha Blackburn, and the gang. Rewatch Ketanji Brown-Jackson's hearings and you'll know what I'm talking about. The former president has jumped on the bandwagon with both feet, says Ron Watkins, like Q was his idea, like he invented the shit and they love him for it. Okay, it's
2: actually kind of simple. You just have to listen closely at the beginning when you're first starting to hear it. It won't seem like it makes all that much sense, but just stick with it. Let it wash over you. Even the Mussolini part, just let it let it wash over you and eventually it will sink in and make sense.
1: General Patton is the grandson of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, yeah. All right. General Patton had a brother, which was Benito Mussolini as well, who came. So General Patton was the son of William Wallace Lincoln. Benito Mussolini was the son of Thomas Tad Lincoln. All right. All right. Joseph Kennedy, the older brother of John F. Kennedy, presumed dead in World War II, was not dead. He went into hiding for protection. He had children. Joseph Kennedy begat General Michael Flynn, who happens to be first cousins to John John and his siblings as well. Trump is the biological son of General Patton which makes him first cousins to John John and the, and the Kennedys as well.
0: But how is this new breed of QAnon and far-right candidates going to match up against Democrats? I mean, seriously, it's hard to say. But to avoid a forum where the party's nominee would be pressed to speak honestly, the Republican National Committee recently abandoned cooperation with the Nonpartisan Commission on All Debates, including the presidential debates. So don't expect elections as usual this year. The 2020 census data is irreparably miscalculated thanks to cartoon character Wilbur Ross and district maps have changed often to favor the GOP. There's gerrymandering that's normal, but the new voting laws that have been newly instated across the country could turn the counting of ballots into a total fucking shit show like we've just seen in Pennsylvania. Next week, we're heading for a showdown in Georgia, so stay tuned.
2: Well, I'm gonna go to sleep and I'll remain Caucasian the whole
0: time, even after midnight. (laughs) Oh, goodbye. And finally this week, I said things are heating up with the January 6th committee, and I wasn't kidding. Yesterday, the House Select Committee sent a letter to Representative Barry Loudermilk of Georgia, asking for his voluntary cooperation in their investigation. The committee members believe he has, and I'll quote, information regarding a tour you led through parts of the Capitol complex on January 5th of 2021, the day before the January 6th insurrection. In response, Loudermilk and his committee claimed they reviewed security footage from the days preceding January 6th and determined that there were no tours, no large groups, no one with MAGA hats on but the select committee's review of evidence directly contradicts that denial. They have eyewitnesses and they have footage, so fucking gotcha. Loudermilk and ranking Republican members of the House released a sort of fucked up non-denial saying something about a constituent's family with young children meeting with some member of Congress. It's not a suspicious group or reconnaissance tour. Reconnaissance tour? Who said anything about a fucking reconnaissance tour? Barry Loudermilk did. So Loudermilk did take people around on January 5th, despite denials from the Republicans on his committee who claimed to have reviewed security footage, saying there were no tours. I mean, does it sound like Donald? Hey, there's no Russia. I mean, no MAGA hats, yada, yada, yada. And the Capitol complex was closed to the public that day because of the pandemic. So yeah, something fishy is going on. Yesterday afternoon, as I was traveling home to Georgia from Washington,
1: my wife and I found out that I was in the crosshairs of the January 6th committee. Why? Because on January the 5th, I took a family with young children and their guests who were visiting Washington to lunch in a cafeteria in one of the house office buildings. So what was so awful about this family that caused the committee to make false accusations about them? Well, some were actually wearing red baseball caps. If this committee wanted to know the truth about this, all they had to do was ask. Every member on that committee has a house phone directory and some even have my cell phone number. All they had to do was call me and I would have answered their questions. You see, there was nothing unusual or nefarious about this family's visit to see their congressman.
0: And it looks like poor Barry Loudermilk is going to have to answer to Liz Cheney for it. But on a lighter note, Bill Barr, another of Trump's fucking bulldogs, has volunteered to speak before the committee. Yay! Apparently, he told Trump in early December, just after the election, that he's a big fat fucking loser. Nah, he didn't say that, but what Bill Bard did say was that Trump lost definitively. There was no wiggle room, no getting around it. Trump lost the election. He knew it then and he knows it now. The big lie and all the rest is just fucking smoke. And now for the main event. We welcome back to our show Richard Painter, law professor, former chief White House ethics lawyer and now a candidate for U.S. House of Representatives running in Minnesota. Painter, a gifted law professor, has been active in law reform efforts aimed at deterring securities fraud and improving ethics of corporate managers and lawyers. Painter has on six occasions provided testimony before committees of the. US House of Representatives or the US Senate on a government ethics securities litigation and/or the role of attorneys in corporate governance. Painter is also a passionate climate activist and supporter of farmers everywhere. He has written numerous books and op-eds on government ethics for just about every notable publication in the country, and is often a guest on CNN and MSNBC, as well as national public radio. His most recent book, American Nero, The History of the Destruction of the Rule of Law and Why Trump is the Worst Offender, is a must-read for anyone interested in history and modern politics. So let's go now to that conversation with Richard. Okay, so Richard, you say that you're not a politician, and yet you're running for the U.S. House of Representatives, hoping to flip Minnesota's first congressional district. Do me a favor, because this isn't the first time you've been on mea culpa. Tell me why an ethical man like yourself has decided to run now, especially now when ethics and civility in politics seems a thing of the past.
3: Well, Michael, we need somebody ethical at Washington. Uh, Congress is full of too many people who are beholden to the big companies, PACs, super PACs and the like, whether it's Wall Street or the meatpacking industry or the big oil companies or foreign interests. Uh, And uh, we need somebody there who's going to represent ordinary Americans, somebody who cares about uh, people who are trying to just put gas in the tank and food on the table.
0: I know that there was Al Franken who... I was always upset that he decided to step away. I thought he was fantastic for Minnesota. Obviously, I believe you would be fantastic for Minnesota. But how do you reckon with people who also are giving Minnesota a really bad, bad name? People like Mike Lindell, who is out there, you know, the my pillow guy, as people like to call him, Um, basically being a pariah on. The American people now talking about all of a sudden, you know, when he was being sued by the voting machine uh, company, all of a sudden he went quiet. He's freaking out. His entire fortune, whatever it is, or whatever's left of it, you know, is being dissipated. But now all of a sudden, he wants to file lawsuits in all 50 states as a member of the House. What would you do to stop a lunatic like this? Why, you know, why? What's your what's your platform?
3: Well, first we uh, need to have a system in the United States where people file crazy lawsuits, and those lawsuits get dismissed. They have to pay the attorney's fees for the other side. That's the system in large parts of the world. Even if you file a good lawsuit and you lose, uh, you pay the attorney's fees for the other side. Now, I'm not sure we should have that for every lawsuit, but if someone files a frivolous lawsuit, and they lose, they should get slapped with those attorney's fees very quickly. And that would cut down on a lot of this bogus litigation over election results and everything else. And uh, Mike Lindell, he's a perfect example of a guy who's just a windbag and nothing he's saying is true. If a lawyer is going to go into federal court or state court and start file, making pleadings based on what comes out of that man's mouth, or Donald Trump's for that matter, get ready to pay those fees. That ought to be the rule. Yeah. listen,
0: that's what they have in Europe on defamation claims, on lawsuits. If you file a lawsuit, you lose. You end up paying. If you end up winning, the uh, other side ends up paying, you know, for the fees. I agree with you. I've often wondered why we didn't follow that specific rule. It, to me, it doesn't make any sense. But while yeah. we're
3: all... Yeah, I just say middle class people, you know, if you, if you get you have to sue a company that, you know, your employer or something... Uh, you know, and, and you lose. Uh, I don't think you should get in this and get stuck with their bills. Um, you know, there are reasons for the American rule, but not these cases brought by uh, people you know, trying to reverse an election like this and the crazy stuff brought by Donald Trump and then down. I mean, these are multimillionaires bringing frivolous lessons and uh, they ought to get whacked with a fees.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, look, Mike Lindell, despite the fact that he is a windbag, the guy is selling a lot of pillows, right? I mean, he was one of Sean Hannity's first and his premier you know, sponsors for his show. But this windbag, right, has money behind him. And all he's doing with his money is kissing Trump's ass and continuing to promote these conspiratorial um, views to the extent that even after the allegations and the statements that were made about the voting machines and the lawsuit, he then goes ahead and files a lawsuit in Arizona. Um, I mean I don't under, I don't see how to stop you know people like this. And I would I would like to see it happen. I'm just not really sure I understand how.
3: Well I also want to emphasize that filing a, a, a false statement with the federal court is Dean Burgery and we could crack down criminally on some of the lawyers, and as well as uh, urge the states to proceed with disbarment. I have filed uh, the, uh, ethics complaints against lawyers, including John Eastman out in uh, California. And uh, I think it's about time we take this stuff seriously. Uh, and people shouldn't be using the courts as a way to uh, basically spread the uh, propaganda you see on Fox News.
0: Yeah. How much money do you think that Mike Lindell has spent so far promoting these baseless claims, these out-and-outright lies?
3: Probably millions of dollars. Now, he makes what a if lot I, of money selling What if I told
0: just... you? That's for sure. But what yep. if I told you? What if I told you there, Rich? He spent $25 million so far in promoting these baseless lies in promoting these Donald Trump conspiratorial theories, right? Could you imagine $25 million for somebody to just throw away and to waste? There's so much good that this guy could have done with that money. Instead, as you said, clogging up the courts, making an ass out of himself, promoting the big lie, following Trump's, you know, nonsensical conspiratorial theories about the voting machines and that uh, what do they say that it's being controlled by Hugo Chavez I mean it's, I don't even know what they do to make up these, these stories they're just so fantastical right I mean it's, it's amazing to me but yet this idiot and a half is out there spending real money in order to promote them.
3: it's just crazy And he's making a lot of money and selling a lot of pillows. And of course, a lot of crazy people who believe his lies want to buy his pillow uh, just to serve support for this kind of thing. Uh, But this is a very dangerous development. We have conspiracy theories that are not grounded in fact. And rich business people get in league with the politicians who are spreading the conspiracy theories. This is what happened in Germany in the early 1930s when the Nazis took control uh, with conspiracy theories. Uh, that turned out to uh, precipitate not only a world war but the Holocaust. We have absolutely need, we need to stand up to this kind of thing in America. And uh, the conspiracy theories about election fraud, conspiracy theories about the so-called uh, replacement theory, all of this stuff is uh, the kind of craziness that brings a democracy down to its knees.
0: Well, let me ask you this then, Rich. You're running for the first congressional district. Who are you running against on the Republican side?
3: Well, I have to win the Democratic primary first, and unfortunately, they have these uh, former CEO of Hormel Foods, the big um, pork giant, uh, running against me. That's Jeff Ediger, and we're going to see how that goes uh, in the primaries. We have two primaries, one in May for the special election, uh, that special election to replace Jim Hagedorn, who passed away, and then another primary in August for the election this fall for the two-year term in the House. Uh, I'm making it very clear that I'm there to represent the average American, uh, the consumer, the people who are getting ripped off at the grocery store. President Biden just last week talked about price fixing in the pork industry, uh, which uh, includes companies like Hormel Foods, where Jeff Edinger was the CEO. So I think the Democrats need to uh, make a decision whether they want to go with a corporate Democrat and uh, try and use his money to buy the seat or whether they want to go with me. And I'm going to appeal to Uh, Ordinary people, small dollar donors. And uh, my goal is 99 percent of the vote because I'm going to represent the 99 percent when I get to Washington, whether they voted for me or not. Now, on the Republican side, uh, we've got uh, a cast of characters. One is a fellow named Jeremy Munson, an insurrectionist who showed up at the Storm the Capitol rally and at our state capitol on January 6th of 2021 to support the insurrection in January of January 26 in Washington. And uh, right here in St. Paul, they were threatening state lawmakers. And Jeremy Munson has attracted the most extreme elements of the Republican Party to support him in his bid for the first congressional seat. We also have the widow of uh, Representative Hagedorn uh, and Jennifer Carnahan. She was a former head of the state Republican Party Uh, But she was forced out of office by her fellow Republicans as head of the party only a few months ago uh, after various scandals, including harassment of workers in the state Republican Party and the fact that her very best friend, a man uh, named Anton Lazaro and a huge GOP donor in Minnesota, was arrested for pedophilia, picking up uh, uh, sex with uh, teenage girls and is apparently still in the Hennepin County Jail awaiting trial. Um, so we've got a cast of characters over on the GOP side, and I don't know whether it, you have to choose between the insurrectionists and friends of pedophiles, or I don't know what's going on over there, but it's a circus.
0: When he got caught with the was he with Matt Gates?
3: Anybody know? Oh, yeah, I'm sure they're all in it together. You know, you got you got <laughs> and Madison uh, Cawthorn. You oh, know? yeah, exactly. And of course, you got Jeffrey Epstein's whole little thing going on with Donald Trump and and the gang, and um, uh, Alan Dershowitz uh, representing Trump. I mean, uh, they all seem to know each other.
0: Honestly, you can't make up this, this nonsense when it comes to this group of, this cast of characters. But I want to ask you this, Richard, because the title of your latest book is American Nero, The History of the Destruction of the Rule of Law and Why Trump is the Worst Offender. Now, I happen to agree with you. But what happens if Trump is actually reelected in
3: 2024? If Trump is reelected 2024, I don't think he's going to uh, repeat the mistake that he believes he made in uh, 2020 and early 2021. I believe Donald Trump is uh, convinced that what he should have done was call out the army, declare martial law and uh, shut down uh, the counting of the electoral votes and redo the election. As Mike Lindell discussed with him in the White House in a meeting in November uh, of 2020, after he lost the election, they seriously discussed sending in the military, declaring martial law. And uh, that's the option that Donald Trump will use once he's in the White House. To permanently shut down elections in the United States, so we either want a democracy or we do not, and we're going to make that decision. If we uh, if we reelected Donald Trump, that would be the end.
0: Yeah, I, I I believe that if Donald Trump becomes president again in 2024, and I don't even believe he's going to run, but if he did, I think it's the end of our democracy. I talked about that literally two years before the January 6th insurrection when I testified before the House Oversight Committee and I stated emphatically to the world, forget about even the world, I stated to all of the members of the House Oversight Committee and to those watching, I mean, tens and tens of millions of people that were watching, if Donald Trump loses the election, my fear is that there will never be a peaceful transfer of power. Those were my words. And why did I say it? Because I know the animal I know who he is. I know what he wants. And I agree with you. I believe that as if Donald would know that he would win, then I believe that he would throw his hat back, right back into the ring and he would be welcomed with open arms by so many of these crazy GOP members. But I don't believe that, in his mind, he has it under control yet. And so... I don't believe that he's going to run. But I do, again, I, and I stated emphatically that if Donald Trump wins in 2024, we could kiss democracy goodbye.
3: I agree with him. I agree with you. Uh, he's a very dangerous man. And uh, we saw the handwriting on the wall in 2016 when he was running for president and the vast majority of Republicans uh, rejected him. Uh, he managed to win Republican primaries uh and get himself the nomination winning a lot of republican parties and primaries in states that never vote republican in the general election uh he manipulated his way to the nomination of a major party and then with the help of vladimir putin got into the white house he's a very dangerous man and uh, this is something we need to give serious consideration to because this is what will take apart destroy a representative democracy a republican form of government will not last if uh political extremists are allowed to get a hold of major parties or to otherwise manipulate the system uh, to put themselves in position of power and i believe there's a minority of people in this country who really would fervently support uh donald trump or even someone like donald trump that might be 20 25 maybe 33 percent of the population who would support, with enthusiasm, uh, an authoritarian and an extremist. Uh, But still, if they can control a major party nomination process, and then go to a general election, we have no idea what's going to happen. I should emphasize that history has taught us the dangers of such extremist elements. In 1932, Germany uh, chose a parliament uh, with 33 percent of the voters, no more supporting the Nazis. And by early 1933, Hitler was firmly in control and destroyed democracy and proceeded over 12 years to murder tens of millions of people.
0: Look, you know, one of the things that I saw in your Minnesota Post is that for the Republicans to actually win in many of these uh, seats that they really do need to put up individuals who are electable. I mean, as you stated, one is in prison, the other one is a pedophile, probably awaiting charges. And then there's a host of other characters that really don't comport with what you would expect to see in a voter. Tell me, What do you think your chances are? I mean, I'm really intrigued, Richard, that you've decided to run. I often consider it. I I actually do. I've considered running for whether it was office of the mayor uh, here or even for the governor. Um, Certainly, I understand balance sheets better than all of them. I've lived in the city virtually my entire life. I know the problems. I know the issues that are out there. I managed to get along with everyone and I'm not going to be swayed by a party, right? Because it appears that all everybody wants to do, all the politicians, at least here in New York, want to do is they just want to go to the Met Gala. They want to go to all the various parties. You know, tell me, tell me the mistakes that you think the Republicans are making so that your platform becomes enhanced.
3: Well, uh, first of all, we've got to prevent the mistakes of the, that the Democrats can make to hand this election to the Republicans. And I think you put your finger on it. You got a lot of politicians in both parties want to spend their time at the Met Gala in New York or obnobbing with the CEOs and the rich and famous. And that's the temptation we have in the first congressional district of Minnesota for people want to run a former CEO of a meatpacking conglomerate for the United States House because he's got a lot of money. He could spend it and has connections and so forth even though he gave enormous amounts of money uh, to the Republican Senatorial Committee in 2016. But anyway, they just (laughs) look over that money's money. So Democrats are going to go the corporate Democrat route. uh, They're going to be toast. And that was the mistake we should have learned from Hillary Clinton, uh, that there was just too much closeness to Wall Street uh, with the Clinton campaign. I think Barack Mm -hmm. Obama was a lot better at distancing himself from Wall Street, at least at the beginning. Democrats need to run candidates who identify with the middle class uh, and get away from this corporate money, money thing. I know that's hard because of our campaign finance system is all screwed up and favors the very, very rich. If Democrats can run candidates who are honest, who support democracy and middle class values and will protect consumers um, and workers, uh, then they're positioned to take on the Republicans. Now, the Republican Party, as I pointed out, my campaign ad when I ran for Senate 2018, is a dumpster fire. And I actually had a real dumpster fire in this ad to show what Donald Trump was doing to our government. It is a big dumpster fire. When you've got a, a war here between friends of pedophiles and insurrectionists, and then you get some Putin money thrown in the mix and uh, various other crazies uh, and racists, Uh, anti-Semites, I mean, a terrible uh, cast of characters, Uh, all trying to seize control of the Republican Party, sometimes working together, sometimes against each other. It is one big dumpster fire, And uh, that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose that in the general election. If I can get through this next hurdle, which is beating the big corporate money and the meatpacking industry to get myself to the Democratic nomination.
0: You know, even when the Republicans are fighting with one another and they're taking various different positions onto it, they still manage to stay on that Republican message, which is who could be more Trumpier than Trump? And my, you know, my hope, you know, is that folks like the Ron DeSantis, even that sycophantic jerk Ted Cruz and others will end up joining the race. I believe whether Trump decides to run or not, there will be 16, 17, 20 people announcing that they intend on running for presidency uh, under the GOP banner. That's what, That's what I believe. And I think that's part of the reason why Donald just is choosing not to run. He doesn't want to... Go back up onto a debate stage because after four years, he still doesn't know shit and it's embarrassing. He can't claim the I'm the non-politician politician politician" anymore. He he played that hand once and he won. He can't do it again. But I wanted to ask you in that book, American Nero, if you do me the favor, explain what you meant when you said, and I'm going to quote now, Nixon may have been a crook, but at least he was our crook. He wasn't a Russian agent. What are you referring to here?
3: Well, Donald Trump had very close relations um, uh, with a number of foreign dictators and oligarchs uh, living in foreign dictatorships, including Russia, some of the former Soviet republics, uh, Saudi Arabia, he was close to, uh, some other Arab countries. Uh, Donald Trump has rarely done a lot of business in democracies before he became president. Uh, The only democracy uh, where he had substantial holdings was the United States, where Donald Trump figured out how he could pay off politicians uh, to get what he wanted, including uh, politicians, both Democratic and Republican, in the city of New York. Uh, But overseas, he's done business with dictators and oligarchs close to dictators. We know what Vladimir Putin did in 2016, interfering in our election, hacking computers, and um, uh, getting into social media, uh, uh, crimes were obviously committed. And the people were indicted by Bob Mueller. Russians were indicted. We just can't get them. They're over in Russia. And put, we know what Putin did. Uh, no, we could not prove that the Trump campaign coordinated with the Russians and conspired with them criminally. But quite frankly, when we look back on it, Uh, I think Vladimir Putin, even Vladimir Putin, is smart enough to know not to include Donald Trump and his bungling band of idiots in any kind of a conspiracy to uh, uh, interfere in our election. Putin was very capable of doing it on his own and did exactly that. But he knows he owns Donald Trump. Uh, Putin probably has information on Donald Trump. Um, and also may very well have been loaning him money because we never got those tax returns. We never found out where Trump's getting his financing from for all those various Trump entities uh, that were generating money for him. Uh, And uh, that could very well have been coming from uh, the Russians or from the Saudis or someone else. This man is owned by by, uh, other people. Uh, And there are people who know secrets about his life. Uh, who uh, own him when he's in office. And I don't know what all those secrets are. We could ask, uh, well, Jeffrey Epstein is dead. But anyway, I think you get the point. Yeah.
0: So let let me posit a different theory onto it because, remember, I was with Trump from 2007 to 2017. Actually, it was before 2007. It was more like 2006 when I was doing some worked for him when I was part of a uh, white shoe law firm. And what if I say to you that I don't believe that the Russians were feeding Donald money for his businesses. Now, people will always refer to the fact that he sold a house to a Russian oligarch, a guy by the name of Revolvyev, um, for $95 million. Trump likes to brag and say it was 100, it wasn't, it was 95. He made Plenty of money on that transaction. But that wasn't bought at the direction of or the request of Vladimir Putin for um, any nefarious reason. It was just bought by a really rich guy who wanted to buy a house for his daughter in Palm Beach. It was actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was actually the whole deal was contracted through Sotheby's. Where I agree with you on... Putin owning and controlling Trump, it's not based off of these PP tapes like the idiot Tom Arnold wanted to bring up or um, any of that sort of nonsense. That's not what it is. They did a psychological profile on Donald and they realized that he's a fucking idiot. All right. End of story. And that you could control him much easier than you could control Joe Biden. And again, The Russians did a massive profile on Biden when he was vice president under Barack Obama. And they did a psychological profile analysis on him now that he's president uh, in, you know, in 20, you know, in 2020. Um, They realized that they could manipulate. They understand what motivates Donald Trump. And it's only one thing. And it's not it's not power. It's money. Because in Donald Trump's mind, money buys you the power. Most people would turn around and say the opposite. I'd rather have power than money, because with power, you can get all the money you want. Donald would rather have the money. And so Vladimir Putin saw this in Donald. And so, yes, there was a ton of misinformation, disinformation campaigns ran by these Russian... um, what do they call them? These Russian bot camps and so on. So I agree with you on that. But I think it's extremely important. And I say this to many journalists um, as I speak to them. I think facts are really super important. Donald Trump, with or without Vladimir Putin, is a terrible human being. He's a guy that doesn't care for anyone or anything other than himself. And that includes his own family. So... You know, I just think it's really important as we as Democrats start pushing forward for not just the midterms, but for the general election as well. Because if we sidetrack ourselves on these sort of um, things that make sense, but they're not provable, I think we have to stick with the stuff that is provable. Now, one of the things that you brought up, for example, is the tax returns. By the way, District Attorney Alvin Bragg has those tax returns. They were able to get them because of testimony that I provided went all the way up to the Supreme Court and they have those tax returns. It's got to tell you something that Alvin Bragg decided to walk away. What it is that it's saying, I don't know the answer. I know the documents that they had outside of the tax returns. And I can tell you, like Mark Pomerantz, like Carrie Dunboat said, we have them. But for some reason, they're letting them off. I don't know. What's your thoughts?
3: I don't know what's in there, Uh, but it says something when you have a president who is the first president since Richard Nixon to refuse to disclose his tax returns. Donald Trump is just not willing to be transparent with people. He lies. He lies over and over again. So we don't know the truth and we don't know what's going on. Uh, But there are three ways in which a foreign government uh, can control a president of the United States. One is, yes, money. And that's what their Emoluments Clause seeks to, uh, to guard us against, the money flowing into corporations at the corporate level that then filters its way up to the president. We just simply don't know, whether the Saudis or the Russians or anybody else, we don't know. Um, we don't have that information. Donald Trump never let us see it. The second thing they, uh, way the Russians in particular have controlled famous politicians, as well as others, is by having dirt on them. Uh, you know, whether it's a PP tape or whether it's uh, information about the personal lives, the Russians gather that information on people who are in positions of influence, sometimes on just mid-level employees in the United States government or to blackmail them. Donald Trump has a very checkered past with respect to his sexual uh, relationships, abuse of former wives. He has divorce records under seal. That's another giveaway that there's something going on. Um, and so the Russians may very well have information on him or on, and also on other high-ranking uh, uh, politicians in the United States. The third is what you point out is mental instability. It is clear that Donald Trump is mentally incapable of being president. He was mentally incapable of being president for all four years of his presidency, as pointed out by very well-known psychiatrists, uh, including Bandy Lee from Yale University, um, and um, a whole host of other psychiatrists. I know there were some psychiatrists who thought that was inappropriate to point that out, that the president of the United States is mentally incapable of serving. Uh, I think that was actually the patriotic duty of any psychiatrist uh, to say that this man should not be in control of nuclear weapons. Um And part of his uh, psychiatric condition is extreme narcissism. He cares only about himself and his money, his power. And he's getting older. He's nearing the end of his life. Is this the kind of man who would like to just take the whole world with him? Because a world without Donald Trump isn't a world worth existing. And that may be his view. This is an extremely dangerous man. He should not be anywhere near the White House. We are lucky we survived those four years. Let's not roll the dice again.
0: Yep, totally agree with you. Now, I want to ask you this because you've talked about the absurdity of the far right's great replacement theory. But why do you think so many young men in particular are embracing it?
3: Well, uh, this is a theory that's being uh, pushed at multiple levels. We have an intellectualized version of it uh, floating around among a minority. It's a small minority of academics, but some in very influential positions, such as Amy Wex at the University of Pennsylvania, a professor at the law school there. specifically, said, we have too many Asians in the United States, that India is an s hole country, and she used the four-letter word, that her Black students are not as smart as her white students. She went on Tucker Carlson just recently. Um, uh, to talk about those things and where she called India an asshole country and said Indian Americans and blacks are jealous of Western values and Western success. So there we have the academic great replacement theory. Next comes cable news, Tucker Carlson, and then you get the right wing uh, talk show hosts who keep hyping this up and saying that Western civilization is under threat and that white people are somehow in grave danger of being replaced and that people's jobs are at stake because of immigration and we're losing jobs to the Mexicans and all that. So it now has an economic component added to this academic version of the great replacement theory. Then you get the groups like the Ku Klux Klan uh, and the anti-Semites and everyone else is spreading all over the internet uh, and Facebook and everywhere else. Uh, making posts that are inflammatory, and then mixing this in with the uh, the idea that we all need to arm ourselves to protect ourselves, uh, white people against being replaced. And then some young man, an 18-year-old, too young to buy a beer, can go in and buy an AR-15 or whatever, a Bushmaster, whatever, he bought a rifle, and then will go up to Buffalo and start shooting people. I mean, this is a very dangerous situation. Um, and we do need to address it at all levels in, in our universities, on our talk radio, in the cable TV. I mean, Fox News should fire Tucker Carlson. And uh, we got to uh, address this in our gun laws. I mean, I'm, I'm all for the Second Amendment, but a well-regulated militia is what the Second Amendment talks about. And that doesn't mean that you sell a gun to a mentally disturbed person there was a clear record that man, young man was mentally disturbed. He's only 18 years old. Uh, the police had already interviewed him, given him a mental check, uh, a health check uh, when he was in high school, and you sell him a gun uh, when it's illegal to sell him a can of beer. Um, so we need to address this problem now. It's extremely dangerous. And I will reiterate again, these types of theories were exactly what was going on in Germany and it was the same pattern in the 1920s and 30s. You had academics who had these very, you know, complex theories about culture and everything else and complex theories about Jews and the place of Jewish people within Germany and theories of disloyalty to Germany on the part of Jews. And it went on and on. And then it filtered in to the Nazi party and to the lower levels of society. And we know what happened. So this great replacement theory is we've seen it before. And we see what's at the end of those train tracks, and you know you're looking you're looking at Auschwitz. You're looking at a repeat of what happened in Germany. If we allow these people to get control of our government,
0: yeah. Well, you may have seen Odette Youssef wrote an article in NPR, and she called it "The Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory." Isn't fringe anymore? It's mainstream. And then what they do is they talk about in this, um, in this article, they, they talk about a Associated Press and then NORC Center for Public Affairs Research poll found that, and this I found staggering, that one in three American adults now believes in a version of replacement theory. And that goes right to your point, right? This is all, again, this is the Third Reich. This is Nazi Germany rearing its ugly head. And how many times I've heard, choose, look, my father being a Holocaust survivor, I've heard from, you know, speakers at Holocaust um, memorials. I've, I took classes when I was at the American University, history and politics of World War II. And everybody always talks about never again, never again. Unfortunately, it sounds like never again may unfortunately become again. And it's It's really it's dangerous. And these hate filled ideologies just they spread like a cancer across this Internet, which is completely unfiltered.
3: Well, they get they get into media. And uh, as I say, it's all through our society and we do have it. it, We have it in our universities. Um, And I will say that, you know, it's one of the most dangerous theories out there. Uh, We've seen on the extreme left, I mean, Marxist-Leninism permeated European and then American universities. And uh, we we see what happened uh, with Joseph Stalin uh, murdering tens of millions of people. So we really need to hold people accountable for so-called theories uh, that, uh, you know, when when we have human lives and human dignity subordinated to some broad sweeping theory, whether it's Marxist-Leninism or These racist great replacement theories, or various uh, uh, forms of, um, you know, theories of racial superiority, uh, that are being promulgated uh, by various people, Um, it's it's very dangerous. And I think cable news needs to control what's going on. Um, Yeah, Tucker Carlson has a First Amendment right to say whatever he wants, but he should be saying it on a street corner. He shouldn't be given a podium at Fox News broadcasting to tens of millions of Americans, no more than the University of Pennsylvania should continue to have a job there for Professor Amy Wax to uh, say, I'm an Ivy League love professor, and I think India is an asshole country. We have too many Asians in America, and blacks are less intelligent than whites. I mean, we, we do not have to give podiums to these people. On uh, our news networks, in our universities, in our newspapers, facebook and twitter and all that that's a whole nother issue i see elon musk wants to get control of twitter so he can let every crazy on there um i hope that gets held up at least for a while i see he's in a fight with twitter uh and the uh lawyers at twitter so let's just hope that that idea gets shelled
0: yeah let's hope now let me ask you by the way you know, Trump made the same comments, by the way, about the shithole countries when he talked about, you know, Africa. Um, and he and I write about this in my book, Disloyal, when he made comments about um, about Africa, even when he was traveling through certain cities and you know talked about how those cities, like in um, Chicago, right? Um, they're just uh, dirty, gross cities that only the blacks could live in. And it just goes... So all they're doing is they're just mirroring. I, again, it's sort of like the monkey see, monkey do type yeah. of, I, you know attitude you know fuck it if the president of the united states is willing to say it i should be able to say it too but richard let me ask you this because you're a law school professor at the university of minnesota now in a post-truth america where the laws are regularly flouted you know they're they're just floated and subpoenas disregarded what do you say to idealistic law students who want to become lawyers to save the world
3: i say we need you more than ever we need good lawyers who will zealously represent their clients because that's one of the critically important things for a lawyer to do to represent your clients, but within the bounds of the law, you don't go file frivolous election fraud lawsuits. you don't help your clients lie cheat or steal. you stand up for democracy, and uh you know I think there' there are plenty of great law students i've I've had a lot of good lawsuits I think going to go out there and do really good things. And I know there's a lot of cynicism out there about the legal profession. Unfortunately, too much of the legal profession is spending all their time helping big business. And I know big corporations need lawyers. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, top the 15 or so law schools in the country, 20 law schools in the country, send an awful lot of their students to the uh, great big law firms to represent the big corporations. Um, I, you know, That's an option at University of Minnesota, I talk to my students about, and they can go make a lot of money but there are a lot of other great options too. We need really good uh, lawyers in prosecutor's office, public defenders, running for office. Uh, We need more ethics lawyers in government and in businesses. Uh, And uh, there's a lot of really important work that lawyers can do. And I'm hoping lawyers will, that the next generation of lawyers will focus on the good they could do, not on the money, and the rankings of law firms or the rankings of law schools or all this obsession with status and prestige that is uh, typified by Donald Trump and the narcissism, we need to get that out of our profession and get back to what is being a lawyer about and it's the rule of law and it's having a role in upholding the rule of law.
0: Well, they meant to that in the first place. I, you brought it up as well in the prosecutor's office. You know, one of the biggest problems that you have with prosecutor's offices, all they care about is their conviction rate. And, you know, that's a that's a real problem because the job of a prosecutor is not to convict you. It's to it's to um, create. A case and to prosecute, not to convict. They don't care about the prosecution anymore because, you know, after they have their 98%, then, like Jeffrey Berman, who ran the Southern District of New York, the guy ends up over at guggenheim partners right making major seven figures representing you know this massive massive hedge fund so yeah that's where i'd like to see you know some change start also i you know i think judge jed rakoff is spot on when he talks about you know how that they have lost their way and it's not the way that it's supposed to be but let me ask you this then richard Americans are rightfully worried about inflation. Now you've said that it's not the Biden administration, but corporate greed that's actually creating the current inflation crisis. How do the corporations get away with it? And how can we make the public aware of who's actually responsible for their pain? Because so far, the only one that's getting kicked in
3: the ass or in the groin with steel-tipped boots is Joe Biden. Well, we've got to go after the price-fixing, and we got to, particularly in food and in oil. And that gets through to gas prices. Uh, and now we've got the issues of baby formula and so forth. The, we have monopolist control a lot of the market with the oil companies, we should have figured that out back in 1973 with the Arab oil embargo, that these oil companies made a huge amount of money in the inflation cycle uh, in the 1970s, when they just jacked up the prices, just increased their their profit margin. Uh, We should have moved toward renewable energy and reduced dependence on, on the oil companies, and we didn't really do that. We reduced our dependence on foreign oil, but the oil companies still have monopoly power, and we're seeing that at the pump today. Food also very much concentrated. President Biden gave his speech in Kankakee, Illinois, just a few days ago, in which he talked about that. And the hog farmer is getting paid pennies on the dollar, compared to what the hog farmer used to get. And yet the price of ham and bacon in the store is skyrocketing. Where's all that money going? The big meat packers. And that's why they've been sued All the the big four or five meatpacking companies, the pork companies were sued here in Minneapolis, Smithfield Food that's controlled by the Chinese, JBS, they settled that case for $102 million. But Hormel Foods uh, doesn't want to settle. And as I said, their former CEO is now running against meat for the United States Congress. So we've got a very very, uh, difficult situation here. Uh, With inflation But the Biden administration Needs to ramp up the heat Go after the price fixers And uh, make sure it's clear That uh, they're standing up For the middle class
0: Yeah and by the way Another mistake Democrats Are making is You know we have like 300 billion barrels of oil Untapped oil in America Making us larger Than Saudi Arabia Makes us larger than Iran Makes us the largest the, The largest just um, country with oil in the ground, and yet, for some unknown reason, you know, we don't tap into it. On top of that, we already know that electric. Seems to be working. I mean, everywhere that I turn around, I just came from Florida. Every other car there is a Tesla. Even the same here in New York. You just see a ton of them. And then there's this lucid car. And then you have all of these hybrid cars. So we are cutting down our need for it. But we have enough oil to supply the world for 50 years. By the way, if we want to go ahead and we want to get rid of our deficit, fuck it. Send the oil to, you know, to some of these other countries, send it to China, send it to whoever else that, you know, requires it. But we have 300 billion barrels of oil. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And yet we're still energy dependent. I don't get it.
3: Well, uh, we're in a situation uh, where uh, the, uh, the big oil companies are very happy uh, with uh, the dependence we have on oil and gasoline. We should have been moving toward electric vehicles a lot earlier and toward wind and solar. And we create an enormous amount of jobs with clean energy. Uh, The oil companies don't like that because they like the monopoly power they've got. So now we're destroying our planet, we're also giving them all this power. Um, yep, we we produce a lot more here in the United States, particularly with the natural gas, um, but we have not solved the problem of monopoly power. And when the supply chain overseas gets interrupted, that drives up prices, and the oil companies take advantage of it. They're putting enormous amounts of money into Washington, D.C. and lobbying and uh, into campaign contributions. And that's what we're up against, Uh, big oil. It's just like the big food and the pork packing industry that I'm up against in my campaign. Uh, They've got millions of dollars and they're influencing our Congress. They wanna own congressional seats. They wanna own the presidency. Uh, Big oil was very close to Donald Trump. So uh, we've got to fight back, Um, not only for our planet, but for our economy and for the American consumer.
0: Yeah, well, look, when I say that we have 300 billion barrels sitting in a reservoir, I don't think we need anybody's assistance. We just need to start tapping into it. But I want to ask you this as well. Recently, the Supreme Court sided with Ted Cruz, striking down a cap on the use of campaign funds to repay personal campaign loans. Now, in several tweets, you liken that decision to bribery of a federal official and a fundraising scam. Would you do me and my listeners the honor of explaining what you meant by that?
3: Well, and I wrote about this for an op-ed at MSNBC. This is the way it works. Usually you donate money to a candidate in order to help that candidate get elected. And yes, you may hope that they like you if they do get elected and do something nice for you. I don't like her campaign finance system, but at least you donate the money before the election. Um, The way this works is uh, this scam that Ted Cruz came up with is he and any millionaire can do it. I can't because I don't have the money. But you loan yourself your campaign, the money before the election, you spend it then when you win the election, now you're the winner. And everybody, of course, wants to pay off the winner because then they can get access to Washington and get whatever they want. And then you raise money after the election. You use that money that you raise after the election, after you won, to simply pay yourself back. So everyone who shows up at your fundraiser knows two things. One, you won the election, so you're going to Washington. And two, that every penny they give you is going to go right into your Personal bank account. Well, at that point, we might as well have people bring in brown paper bags full of cash and just leaving them on a senator's desk. Because that's what's going on. I mean, this is just bribery. Why give money before an election where you don't know who's going to win it? Save your money. You don't have to, you you're betting on the horse after the race. If you if you play it by these rules, you go to the fundraiser Ted Cruz has after he wins the election, and you're not even putting the money into the campaign. It's going right into his pocket his bank account. He's really going to like you. And, it'll take and you really can't make in this,
0: Washington. You can't make this stuff up. Now, I understand that you think Biden should add seats to the Supreme Court. Do you think he has the power? And more importantly, do you think that he'll actually do it? I mean, I, I, again, I know Donald. And if Donald had the ability to add more seats, I think there's, Not a person that's listening to this podcast that would disagree with this statement. He would do it, right? Does Biden have the ability to do it? And even if it's determined that he
3: does, do you think he's got the cojones to do it? Uh, President Biden does not himself have the power to add seats to the United States Supreme Court. It is very clear what the founders intended. They did not name nine justices. The number of justices is specified by Congress by statute. So if the House of Representatives passes a bill saying there will be 11 justices or 13 or 15, and then the Senate passes that bill and it's signed by the president, well, now there are 15 openings on the Supreme Court instead of nine, and you fill the additional six seats or whatever it is. So this is a decision made by the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the president by passing a law uh, where two-thirds of the House and two-thirds of the Senate could expand or contract the number of justices on the Supreme Court, even if there were presidential veto. It's decided by statute. And the founders intended it that way. Those are the rules. There's nothing magic about the number nine. So um, this is a decision that ought to be made. I think it ought to start in the House of Representatives. And there needs to be serious consideration given to whether this court reflects the United States population uh, and also the way the court is acting, particularly in the campaign finance area, not just Roe versus Wade. Uh, but in campaign finance and striking down campaign finance regulations, letting Ted Cruz collect his bribes after he wins the election. I mean, it's just not acceptable. Um, so we need to think about this seriously. And so I have proposed that the House uh, should look at the Supreme Court. Also, we need a Supreme Court ethics code that could be put into this statute. And we maybe won't want additional justices. And then we go to the Senate. and Then President Biden could decide whether or not to 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 sign the legislation. Obviously, if there are additional justices, they would be nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate, just like every other justice. These are the checks and balances the founders intended. Uh, and if the founders wanted to put the number nine in the Constitution, it would be in there. It's not. Uh, so uh, let's just see what happens. Let's hope the Supreme Court uh, gets some sanity, at least on Roe versus Wade. But they certainly didn't on campaign finance, and they keep, uh, keep going way, way off the rails on that.
0: Yeah, they just punt this stuff down the street and hope that the next person picks it up, which, of course, as we know with immigration, never happens either. But answer me this, Richard. Adam Schiff has reintroduced a proposed constitutional amendment to overturn the Supreme Court's decision on Citizens United. Considering the currently political climate, I mean, What's the likelihood that anything will change with regard to dark money basically rigging and destroying our dem- uh, democracy and our system?
3: Well, amending the Constitution is something the founders did address, and they've made it extremely difficult. You got to get through the through Congress and then you got to get the three quarters of the states. And I guarantee you the big money people are going to be able to control the state legislatures well more than a quarter of the states. Uh, so I strongly support a constitutional amendment. I think it's an excellent idea. Is it going to happen? Likely not. But the Supreme Court is dead wrong in its interpretation of the First Amendment of the Constitution in these campaign finance reform cases. Once again, I think that additional justices in the court. Uh, that's an appropriate measure. The founders contemplated that Congress could set the size of the court. And if this court is going to be striking down campaign finance regulations, that has the overwhelming support of America's right, left, and center, then I I think we're going to have to take measures to control an uh, out-of-control court. Franklin Roosevelt almost did it in 1937, but the Supreme Court got its act together and decided they were going to stop striking down the New Deal legislation. We have a system of checks and balances here, and uh, the Supreme Court looks like it's getting out of control in a number of different areas and we have the tools in the toolbox to deal with that. And that's the way the founders drafted the Constitution. And I think we ought to focus on the Constitution we have. And uh, amendments are a great idea, but it's, that's going to be very, very difficult.
0: Okay. So then let me ask you this one, because I read an op-ed that you published in Bloomberg Law. And this is something that I talk to friends about regularly. So when I saw that you wrote this, I was really um, quite excited it's about why members of Congress should not be allowed to trade stocks. I mean, it really, it, it pisses me off beyond belief. John Assoff is floating a bipartisan ban on members trading stock now. Do you think it's likely to get any traction? And for some unknown reason, I had thought that this issue had already been decided on a couple of years ago that members of Congress could not insider trade. What am I, what am I missing here?
3: Well, they are not allowed to trade in inside information. That's a criminal offense. But the problem is it's hard for them to get caught uh, because also the speech and debate clause makes it very difficult uh, for uh, uh, prosecutors to find out what they knew and when they knew it before they bought or sold the stock. So the real answer is to prohibit them from buying and selling stocks in individual companies. They should have their money in mutual funds, just like the rest of us. Uh, mm-hmm. or most of the rest of us, we have our money in mutual funds. They don't need to be buying individual stocks of companies while they are in office. Neither do the Supreme Court justices, by the way. So that's something that needs to be passed. Speaker Pelosi was opposed to it, but we put a lot of heat on them. And I wrote several op-eds on it. My Congresswoman Angie Craig introduced a bill on this. And we're hoping to get one of these bills through. Neither Republicans nor Democrats, I don't care who they are, should be trading stocks when they're in the U.S. House.
0: I have just one last question for you. What do you see coming out of the January 6th hearings? I mean, do you think that Republican lawmakers who just happen to also be insurrectionists will ever be held accountable? And for that matter, do you ever see Trump going to jail as a direct result of his participation?
3: Well, I believe that the insurrectionists do need to be held accountable, and we need to speed up the investigations that the Department of Justice here and get up to the ringleaders. Uh, it's quite clear that a lot of people in the White House knew this was going to turn violent. And I'll bet that includes Donald Trump. We also know that he probably violated criminal statutes prohibiting anyone from coercing a federal employee to engage in partisan political activity. And that included the pressure on the Department of Justice and others uh, to invalidate the election. And Donald Trump was clearly doing that. So I expect this DOJ to ramp it up. And they better do so quickly. Uh, or it'll just look like it's partisan.
0: Right. When? When Richard? When is? When is Merrick Garland going to finally do something? I mean, look. I can, I can sit and I can talk to you for an hour about the things that I've asked the OIG and Merrick Garland's office to look into regarding an unconstitutional remand of a U.S. citizen back to prison because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. And that's fallen on deaf ears. Ted Lieu gave a shot, right? Nancy Pelosi gave it a shot. Hakeem Jeffries gave it a shot. Nothing from this guy. Now we have 1,000 people interviewed. There's... Tens and tens of thousands of documents regarding this insurrection. And yet, yet, what do you see? A handful of Oath Keepers, right? Sentence. You see a bunch of these bumbling fucking buffoons. Seriously, that these are the people that are going, what about?
3: Yep, not happy about it. And I think this DOJ needs to get going. And I've written several op-eds about that in, in the Washington Post and Slate and other places. It's time for them to get going. And we need to get the independent prosecutor statute back. So this, this is in the hand of an independent prosecutor, not the appointed attorney general. I don't care who points on the president, the former president. It doesn't matter. We need an independent prosecutor. We need to bring that statute back.
0: Yeah. Well, Richard, let me thank you for joining me again. Appreciate it. Again, every time I speak to you, I get more agitated and more concerned about the future of our country. But- Hopefully, I'll have you back soon on Maya Culpa. Thank you for your time and
3: always appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having Good me. Good seeing you, Richard.
0: And now for today's Maya Culpa. The one thing that I know Democrats and Republicans agree on is that things feel like they're falling apart. Things are changing so fast that it's hard to wrap your head around what's real and what isn't. Especially when QAnon is looking more and more like a third party and not just a fly-by-night group of wingnuts, but a group of passionate people that want to change the world. But into what? To hear them talk about the movement, it's part fun social club and part political activism. But when they become candidates and then actual lawmakers, what will they do with that power? To me, the QAnon conspiracy and what it's based on seems like total fucking bullshit. JFK is going to rise from the dead and meet us at the grassy knoll and become Trump's running mate. I mean, sounds like very bad poetry or a kid rock song to me, but to them, it's all very fucking real. It's a generation gap, an understanding gap, my lack of compassion, I don't know but it's fairly certain that we the people will be represented by the richard painters of the world who have committed their lives to helping our society move forward and the marjorie taylor greens whose end game i can't fathom she's not in washington to legislate clearly so what is the end game and why all the hate I don't feel like all Republicans even know what they've signed up for when they embrace conspiracies like White Replacement or QAnon. But once in office, once on the school boards and on the police force, QAnon won't be theoretical anymore. It will be real. But the ideology will always be false. At the end of the day, I don't think that America is a country that would rather choose hate over love or fiction over fact. And I pray to God that I'm not proven wrong. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, But in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.